Hello, and welcome to the Fun and Sobriety Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan, and I am an alcoholic. Um, Before we get rolling on today's show, uh, I want to remind you that today's podcast is brought to you by Audible, and we actually have a Fun and Sobriety-specific link that you can use. So please, uh, you can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial when you go to www.audibletrial.com slash sobriety. Uh, and Audible, there's over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. So please use the forward slash sobriety link and we'll get a little bit on the back end. And also, we have a affiliate program set up with the onlinetherapy.com program uh, and there'll be a link in the show notes um, but go to online-therapy.com to find out more about this program it's a it's a dedicated online based team of consultant therapists cognitive behavioral therapists practitioners and support staff that collaboratively work to help people in need of emotional support through uh, the internet I suppose so please uh, go check out that link in the show notes and if you go through that link you can get a 20% discount on your first month at onlinetherapy.com now having gotten all that out of the way I want to move on to today's program Uh, today's podcast is a conversation with the comedian Andy Gold um, and I am outing his entire name there even though I, I go through a little bit of that at the beginning of the episode uh, breaking his anonymity, that is, um, because as Andy points out, he is uh, all out and open about his sobriety and his recovery. It's part of his act. And in fact, that is why I brought Andy on to today's podcast, uh, because I've worked with him a few times in the over the last few years. And he is a, a very, very funny guy. Uh, but he's also very... <laughs> I don't have to say this very sober. He's a very sober gentleman. Uh, what I mean is he's he clearly has found recovery, uh, and there's you know he's a funny and he's he's funny and he's humorous and he's a comedian and he goes up on stage and he makes funny jokes, but you can also see he's very serious, or at least I could see he's very serious about the change in his life. And I had brief conversations with him over the years, so I had an, a, a vague idea of what he's gone through, and his and like I said, his comedy touches on it a lot so i had a you know a relatively you know uh, a, a vague back idea of his background let's say and and i wanted to and i wanted an opportunity to talk with him and um this was the first time i'd done a fun and sobriety conversation podcast through a phone call which was tricky enough to do but especially with someone who i don't really know so I was I was worried we wouldn't hit uh, hit a connection where we, we where well frankly Andy would be comfortable being vulnerable, but uh, it, it turned out to be not an issue at all. Or at least it felt like it to me. Um, so yeah, I, I really really enjoyed this conversation. I really appreciate Andy for taking the time to sit down with me. So please en- enjoy this conversation with Andy Gold. Welcome back to the Fun and Sobriety Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Dylan. I am an alcoholic. Um, 
and I am uh, sitting down with sort of uh, <laughs> uh, somebody who I don't actually know. This is one of the handful of times I'm actually going to interview or have a conversation with someone who I don't particularly know. I'm talking with a gentleman by the name of Andy G. Say hello, Andy. Hello, I'm Andy. <laughs> Is this like a meeting format? It's not. I, I, I oh. started this podcast doing the intro as though it were as kind of a, a goof and then it stuck. So no, don't don't feel obliged to uh, treat this as anything but a conversation. That's fine. Okay, you can use more than my uh, my last initial if you want to then. Sure, go ahead. I, 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 get, I leave it up to my guest to reveal their own, uh, break their own anonymity that much. So it's Oh, uh, well, my name is Andy Gold and I've, my, uh, my entire act is about my recovery, so I'm pretty <laughs> yeah, I guess that's it. a good point. I guess yeah. that's a good point. Um, yeah, so Andy, you're, uh, 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 well, I don't know. I, I'm assuming you haven't listened to this podcast before, correct? Um, I have not, no. It's but okay. I've seen you it's post about it, and I've been meaning to listen to it because I have been curious. It's fine. I'm not meaning to put you on the spot. Um, but we do talk about, uh, well, I was going to say something stupid. I was going to say you have to tell us your most intimate details, but that's it's all entirely up to you. Uh, I, 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 I wanted to invite you on because um, a couple of reasons. One, I, I know that your sobriety date is very, uh, you're, you, you, well, okay, let's say this. How, how long have you been sober? Well, I, uh, so I'm, I'm mostly an NA kid, so I use the word okay. clean. Okay, how long have you been clean? Yeah, sorry. Uh, sneaking up on 10 years. Okay, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. And, and, and we met uh, about five years ago, right? I mean, we, we met in some, well, I, I, okay, I'm aware of you because I've, I've brought you in to do a couple of comedy shows, and I became aware of you at a festival in Boise like five or six years ago. Which I don't know if you know that, but that's how I that's how I came aware of you. No, that um, that was my understanding as well. I believe it was okay. the uh, Idaho Laugh Fest. That's right. That's right. And, and early uh, early 2015, man. So okay, yeah. Whole, so it was about four years ago. Okay, I thought it was further back than that. But um, wow, and, time flies. Yeah, and um, and and then I, I brought you back to do a show, and we had kind of a. a, a I don't know, uh, uh, not a super, like a shallow or at least not deep conversation. Let's say that just about, about like being sober. And, uh, and when I started this podcast, um, you know, I'm trying to get a flavor of how people, uh, you know, deal with their lives in sobriety. And I'm going to keep saying sobriety. I, I, I apologize if that's, a, Oh, you don't have to apologize, man. Okay. I, I kind of poke fun at people who are too anal about the differences in the lingo. Good. It, <laughs> Good. You know, yeah. like yeah. it doesn't bother me at all. So okay. yeah. Sobriety well, clean. It, it's all the same to me. Clean. Yeah. So, okay. Let's, let's, let's just jump into it. So like what, uh, so you've been, you've been clean for almost 10 years. What, what is your, your, your clean date anyway? Uh, October 21st. Oh, okay. So it's very soon. Okay. Very, very soon. Very soon. I know it's because uh, it's my grandma's birthday. October 21st. Oh, that's the day I got fired from my job for being too much of an alcoholic. Uh, oh, my goodness. There must be uh, something <laughs> 11, in the cosmos about 11 years ago. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It really sticks out for me too, bro. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, so let's go back then. Uh, like, I just have a, a vague format that I like to... St- to try and stick to it and, and and you know part of it is like well, tell me tell me what was going on like what what led you to getting clean right because you're clean from from heroin right 
yeah, heroin was my uh, my drug of choice, but you know, I take no issue with going into an AA meeting and saying I'm Andy, I'm an alcoholic because I took to alcohol a lot too. If I, uh, you know, if my one of my dealers wasn't answering their phone or hmm. uh, I just couldn't find heroin for whatever reason, uh, I would take to the alcohol and pretty much just drink until you know the withdrawals were a little bit more tolerable. And that so, was so. Wait, often. how 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 long did that? I mean, so go back. Give give me a, a nickel tour of of early Andy's childhood. Like what what? Because explain your life here, will you? I mean, I, my, sure, sure. My understanding is you're a a kid from Utah, correct? You got it, Utah baby. And uh, I I know. I am subject to the same prejudice as most everyone when they just kind of think of Utah. And the last thing we think of is strung out heroin addict who's, you know, so bad that they want to drink just to get the, the, the compulsion down. So what, what, what was going on? That, that's true. That doesn't fit into the, uh, into the stereotype. Sure. Well, I mean, so I, I came up uh, Mormon, as everybody would guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it, it just wasn't my thing. From as early as I can remember, I just uh, being Mormon. No, being Mormon wasn't your thing. Wasn't my thing, man. Okay. I thought it was really, really boring. I thought school was really, really boring. I was from an early age, kind of a, what would they call, you know, kind of an incorrigible kid. Okay. Uh, you you know, were, talking back were to you, the teachers, to the authority figures, everybody like that, always in you, trouble. Your parents included, or what? And the and the pastors and all that. So my parents were the the two people I was actually kind of respectful to because okay. I loved my parents. Okay. But every other grown-up I showed virtually no respect to, especially teachers, school teachers and Sunday school teachers. Sure. Um, I, I just saw them as obstacles between me and fun. <laughs> Having fun was pretty much my only, uh, my only concern. <laughs> well, and I think your Sunday school teacher was literally an obstacle to you having fun. I don't think that was a misnomer. Um, what was that? I said I don't think I don't think I think your your Sunday school teacher was literally an obstacle to you having fun. I don't think that was that was a mistake, oh, but yeah, one hundred percent. You know, <laughs> mostly because as a kid, just because you know church was three hours long. Yeah, I I, I made the mistake or was roped into a, a a Mormon Sunday afternoon one time, and I was like, "What the fuck is this?" So yeah, man, I, I don't know how my friends were able to do it. Like they they could get it. But I had to ditch whenever I could, and when I did go for the entire time, I just spaced out and went into La La Land. <laughs> so like, that's I didn't memorize. So the how only long? Scriptures. How, how long did you go to? How long did you go? You know where they kept dragging you back every Sunday. How how long before that that just stopped? You know, I would say by the time I got into uh, junior high, high school, I was ditching more often than I was going. Yeah, and that was also the age when I, you know, discovered a different kind of fun, which was partying. Okay. Um, I remember drinking for the first time as a kid and like how old, uh, 15. Okay. Yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, that's, that's reasonable. I think that was about the same age I started to first, the first time I ever got drunk, right? Like uh, that, that's, I, I'm sure I'd had a couple sips of beer before that. In fact, I know I did, but my, my dad was like the kind who would let, let his little, little kid have a, a sip of beer, um, you know, sort of to be European, sort of to let me know how bad it tastes. So <laughs> to be European, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so so then, whatever, junior high, or I guess that's about high school, right? So you know, how it's about how, high school. So you know, even though I just wanted to have fun and was pretty carefree, I was always kind of a little bit stressed out because I knew I wasn't getting my work done. Hmm. I knew, you know, I was basically a 
different than all of the uh, the other kids. I wasn't as into, you know, I, I felt kind of uh, like an outsider a little bit, even okay. though I had plenty of friends. Well, and how and many how many siblings do you? Have? I mean, you were raised Mormon, so but I don't get the impression you're from a big family. I had three older brothers. Oh, okay. Well, that's not bad. Four four brothers is pretty good. So yeah, yeah. And some of my brothers partied too, and I just remember looking at them partying and thought that looked way funner than being like a missionary. Yeah, no shit. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. true. I can't picture you. I can't picture you dressed as a missionary or doing missionary work. Which, uh, granted, I've only met you after you started doing comedy for a long time. But that, oh, does, yeah, I I would have been a dreadful missionary. <laughs> My parents wanted me to go, but it would have been so, so bad, especially at that age. Well, you know? well it's like eighteen or nineteen. We're supposed to do it, right? Yeah, yeah, 19. And, and by the time I was 19, so I'll, I'll, I'll fast forward a little bit. I'll summarize sure. high school. I partied a lot, did everything to excess. I distinctly remember loving pot and alcohol and ecstasy way more than any of my friends. Even my okay. friends who partied a lot were kind of like, damn, Andy is yeah. a, little bit, a little bit too much. Sure. And I remember thinking they had the wrong attitudes. Like, don't you guys get it? Like, this is amazing that we have access to this booze. Yeah. Like... Don't you? Th- this feels awesome. Everything that sucks doesn't suck for a little while, and all we have to do to like have fun is get wasted. Yeah, like this is a blessing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I feel you, and, and I'm I, I'm picturing this is is this Salt Lake City or or where 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 were you specifically? This is Centerville, which is basically Salt Lake City. It's a okay. suburb of Salt Lake. It's okay. ten okay. ten minutes north of the city. So okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's basically Salt Lake. Um. But, okay, but did, were you using heroin in high school? So I started taking painkillers my senior year. Oh, okay. And they became the drug of choice pretty pretty fast, man. Okay. Um, I just remember liking them, feeling uh, content and happy and just sort of cool and not, you know, spazzing out like I was on uh, cocaine or ecstasy and all of that. Good Lord. Okay, so you're, 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 basically using anything that comes across your consciousness it sounds like right oh 100 percent. wow yeah that that's... was like my motto and that was wow, my that's... friend's motto too to just to do as many drugs as we possibly could and also you know stay on the baseball team and the football team oh okay so you you were still playing sports and all that at the same time i got kicked off the baseball team eventually okay for drinking my senior year, yeah. Off, off the ba- oh, so you're a okay. So you're sporty. You're a jock. I didn't. I guess I wasn't. No, I, wasn't sure. I ain't a jock. I'm just a person who happens to play ball. <laughs> okay, sorry. I don't mean to label you. <laughs> no, like I straight up though. Like I didn't wear like the Letterman's jacket. Oh, okay. Uh, I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, but, yeah. I just that. Uh, I definitely didn't have the personality, but I loved playing ball. I, sure. I could I could guess that you didn't have the personality, but I, I guess. There's also that's kind of a misnomer because even you know when I went to high school I I think I'm I'm probably a good ten years older than you, but I I the the the, the guys that we would call jocks they all smoked and drank too you know I think most of them if anyone was into harder drugs it was probably those guys because you know I mean cocaine would be enhancing for a lot of those sports so I, that, that maybe that's a misnomer it's maybe yeah, not I, that that wild that you were. <laughs> Also into sports and drugs, but uh, go on. Sorry. Yeah, on. I mean, I certainly didn't take it for the uh, performance enhancing aspects of it. <laughs> um, Except maybe it made you mellow, right? <laughs> so yeah, when I was, I was pretty good at baseball. Football, not so much, but I led my team in baseball in pretty much every offensive category, and I was stoned every day, man. 
far out. That uh, yeah, is not what I expected you to say. <laughs> I bet. I bet you. Do they do they relish in that when you go back to your high school reunions? <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, by the end of my senior year, uh, you know, I was doing OxyContin. Percocet turned into Lorotab. Uh, that turned into Vicodin, and then that turned into uh, OxyContin. Good lord! And yeah, man, I uh, I was just using all of the time. So did anybody? Did anybody know? I mean, how how out were you with this? So all of my friends knew, of course, and sure. I think some of my family suspected, and especially my parents, because I had an older brother who, around that time, was also uh, heavily addicted to opiates. Oh, yeah, this would have been about two thousand and four, and that's also when I got arrested for the first time as an adult uh, towards the end of high school because I was doing so much oxycontin that I. I couldn't support it with a, you know, the high school job I had working at the garden center. Oh, so, so, so you were, oh, that, that didn't even cross my mind. So you were, you were stealing, like, I guess you do have to buy it. I, I, for some reason, I just assume you're just stealing it from a friend or something. I don't, I don't know where, how do you get this? I, I have to admit, I'm very square when it comes to this, like the whole concept of taking harder drugs like that, especially in high school, uh, terrified me all the time, especially when I was about that age. So yeah. I, I, I genuinely can't visualize even how you were getting access to it. So so go on. You got arrested for, I assume, stealing from a store. No, I got something. arrested for selling cocaine. Oh, far fucking out. That is yeah. not what I expected you to say, dude. Oh, boy. Yeah, man. I didn't, I didn't really think of myself as a drug dealer, but the police sure did. I feel it. Yeah, I, I, I have to. Yeah, I'm now that I'm saying that I, I sold LSD and marijuana as a middleman, right? Like it was just so that I could trim a little off or get some from whoever I sold it to. I wasn't def, definitely wasn't a drug dealer by my standard, but yeah, if a authority figure had gotten involved, for sure. So what, what the fuck happened? Like, well, I sold to, to a friend of mine who had been arrested, and uh-huh. I didn't know he was arrested. Right. And he basically said, hey, can you get some for me and my friend? And I said, sure. And I met him in a parking lot. Right. And his friend, air quotes, was an undercover cop. Sure. And so, so then he, you My, my up... friend basically turned into a snitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I And actually, I remember somebody, that happened to someone who I used to buy and whatever, interact with, and he called me in some weird conversation. So, yeah, no, that I think that was a common tactic that people used, but... Um, what, what happened to you though? Like what happened after that? So the cop gets my number. I don't know. He's a number and he says he wants to buy a whole bunch. And I, I, I'm young. I'm naive. I don't know. He's a cop. And I make the stupid mistake of saying, well, I can get a whole bunch. Right. And now they think, okay, well, we definitely got to keep our eye on this guy. And I do, I get him a couple of like eight balls, not a ton, not like, not like Pablo Escobar or anything like that, but of course. (laughs) Yeah. And then he starts calling me a lot. And he starts asking like for more and more and asking for the dude's number who I was getting it from. And that's when I started to get a little sketched out and I stopped responding to his phone calls. Right. And then on uh, June 6th, uh, 2004, which is uh, my dad's birthday, (laughs) they knocked on the door. Yeah, I overdosed on my grandma's birthday and got arrested for selling cocaine on my dad's birthday. Yeah. Uh, They uh, knocked on the door and... You know, handcuffed me and put me under arrest right there in the in the neighborhood, and I remember that so distinctly, man. When they turned me around and put those cuffs on, and I just yeah. thought, my life is is over. And that was like you were... I'm a felon now. I have a felony, right? Uh, like this, my uh, everything I wanted to do is not gonna happen. 
and you were how old again? 19, 18? I was 18. Jesus Christ. So did you go to prison? Well, I did a weekend there, but it was my first charge okay. as an 18-year-old. My parents bailed me out, um, and I had a plea in abation, I think it was called, uh, plea in abeyance from when I was younger from when I got busted with pot okay. like a year before. And they said, uh, you know, if you get arrested again within a year, that charge is going to come back in full force with any new additional charges. Sure. Um, you know, luckily, though, because it was my first charge as an adult, um, I just got sent to a court-ordered uh, treatment program that was outpatient along with uh, their drug court uh, program. Okay, so you they, they put you in drug court. Yeah, they did put me in drug court. Um, and... I would say I, I entered drug court, but by the time court and everything like that was over, the fall of uh, 2004. Yeah. And I also started going to college that same year at uh, Weber State uh, University. Sure. Yeah. But I was still a full-blown junkie, right? And so, I was still using as much as I could and just uh, getting flush kits whenever I could um, and somehow passing the UAs. Because you, you were going to college and to drug court regularly. At the same time. Yeah, it was tough. It was tough. But I was ditching college all the time. Okay. Yeah. Um, and a friend of mine who was also in drug court, um, so this is where it's kind of like fucked up. We managed to uh, befriend uh, the girl who worked the front desk at the probation spot. I won't name the probation spot, okay. but okay. it was an independently hired probation spot. Okay. And we were basically friends with her, and she would manipulate it and help us out and give us heads up when we were going to go get UAs. Um, what the fuck? That's like a that's like out of a movie or something. Okay, keep yeah, going. Sorry. Yeah, just so, but instead of it being like good fellows to pull off an awesome heist, it's just so we could get fucked up. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but the extent that you'll go, like when you're, when the addiction has really taken hold. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm still using Oxycontin at this point. Yeah, um, okay, so eventually you start, do you start, like, I mean, I, when I hear heroin, I just assume, uh, you know, slamming it. Or oh, and I'm sorry, this it. is 2003, not 2004. Okay, okay. Yeah, this is 2003. And then early in 2004 is when I start using heroin because okay. I just can't afford Oxycontin anymore. I'm doing really? like 1080s a day and they're like 60 bucks a pop. Okay. So, yeah, man, I'm committing check fraud and credit card fraud and I'm stealing all kinds of stuff from my neighbors and pawning right. it and just I can't I can't keep up with it. Right. And by that time I'm slamming the oxycontin anyway. I'm shooting it up. You're shooting it up. Okay. So when oh, yeah. okay. That, uh, yeah. Okay. Go on. Go on. So I was like I might as well just uh go do heroin. So I just went to a, a spot called uh, the Rio Grande here in uh, Salt Lake, which is sort of like Salt Lake Skid Row. And okay. I just wandered around, man, clueless as fuck, kid from the burbs. But, you know, they knew what I was looking for. Right. And I met my first uh, Honduran uh, drug dealer down there. That <laughs> so does that become a recurring character in your life, the Honduran drug dealers? Well, that was just like when it kind of switched gears again from being like a suburban drug addict to now like oh i see my life's taken a turn to be like a street junkie yeah let's, let's take a, take a step back you you were already like injecting like i i what 
can no no not always i started injecting in like uh, the summer of 2003 i would say so when you were but you were out of school and it was after you'd been arrested like what what was i i I don't know i to me again that feels very significant but i my awareness of people who 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 have you know started injecting it doesn't seem as significant to them so i don't i don't know what the disconnect disconnect there is i mean was there a a noticeable change in you when that happened? Um, not really. I would say that maybe uh, some. I was like, oh boy, I'm really, I'm really in the thick of it now. Look right. At me go. Yeah, but that was it. It was just like uh, Andy. Like you, uh, <laughs> the only analog I can think of is I was a, a, a closet drinker for a long time, and I I was tired of gaining weight by drinking beer all the time. And so I finally broke down and bought some vodka, which I register as is such a sissy comparison to what you're talking about. But the day that I like graduated to drinking vodka again, right? Obviously, I drank before. I could just it there was a there was a change in everything after I put that bottle to my lips, and I knew everything was going to be over because of this. So I don't. I mean. Right. Well, I, I got to that point eventually. I wasn't there yet in '03, you know. And I think part of it was because I was still very young. You know, when you're young, you're arrogant. Yeah. No. When I say over, I mean like my life is going to be over, right? Like I was hiding it from my family. I was hiding it from everybody. But it was like just beer and wine. And then as soon as I was hiding vodka, I was like, oh shit! Like I, I, I literally thought this is my divorce right here. So that that's what I mean. Is like, did was there any sense after you you? graduated to injecting that like oh fuck i've crossed some line that now i'm really really going down or or, or it wasn't um, until you it wasn't no, until you I, met the I honduran wish. yeah okay i wish at that point i still just thought it was cool i thought i was a badass oh boy uh, yeah. yeah yeah i thought i was a badass for cheating my way through drug court i thought i was a badass for selling dope and staying out of uh gel i, I just was really arrogant yeah, well, you know, and and in your defense, that is pretty badass, Andy. I mean, I'm not going to lie. So, I mean, it wasn't <laughs> wasn't good, but you know, I I can appreciate where that comes from, right? I mean, that's <laughs> there's a reason yeah. that felt that way. When again, like I was I was young, and yeah, I, I just thought I was smarter than everyone. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. And let's see, yeah. So 2004 is when I start with heroin, and <laughs> you know, by this time, my parents know. Uh, but they're kind of freaking out on what to do because my brother is also an addict. And, okay. you know, they set good boundaries with him. Uh, but that relationship had deteriorated and it was really, really suffering. So I think their attitude with me was almost to en- enable and kind of coddle me. Oh, oh wait, I'm sorry. So you, your, 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 your parents had tried to set super strict boundaries with your brother and it just blew up in their face? Is that what you're saying? It blew up in their face because he, uh, he overdosed and died. What? You, yeah. Wait, 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 wait. When did when did that, that was in 2006. That was August 26, 2006. Okay, so it wasn't when okay, so it was a little bit after you had already started also going further down that path. Okay, I yeah. see. I see. So um Jesus So 2004, Christ, yeah. Also, everybody in the ward is still trying to get me to go on a mission. They don't know how uh, how bad of a junkie I am. In the ward. <laughs> wait, wait. So you're still like an active member of your LDS community at that time? Eh, no, not really. Okay. But, you know, when you're not active, they still try to get you to go. I see. Okay, okay. And there's still people in your life. I, I get you. Or at least peripherally. So, yeah. okay. Well, eventually, uh, what is it? It's a year, 18 months or so. Um, 
I uh, I graduate drug court again. Right. By this time it's 2005, or I graduate drug court not again, but by this time it's 2005, uh-huh. and a few months go by, and now I figure I'm out of drug court. I can just go balls to the wall, and I do, and that's when my parents step in and they intervene and they demand I go to a treatment and they start like uh, micromanaging my life and handling my funds and everything like that. Right. Yeah, and it was an outpatient treatment. It's the second one I had gone to. What? And, why uh, wouldn't they? I, I'm. Why wouldn't they send you to an inpatient place, dude? I don't understand. I managed to manipulate them and talk uh, them out of it and say that it. wasn't necessary. Got it. You know, I was pretty pretty masterful at that. I would talk sure. to them about how much money it would cost and talk <laughs> to them about the success rates of inpatient versus outpatient. Right. And how, you know, I really need to be out in the world because those inpatient places are not the real world. People get out and they just use again. Jesus Christ. Right. I got you. Okay. You know. Okay. Yeah. And it was at uh, Lakeview Hospital, and there were UAs involved, but they weren't observed. So, of course, those had zero effect. Right. Um, and then, let's see. <laughs> uh, then you're, I got so far, you're a very hard-headed case, right? That's a good way to describe you. What was that? I said, so far in your story, you're a pretty damn hard-headed case. I mean, Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And, you know, the timetable here might be a little mixed up because That's fine. You know, 04 to 09 was a hell of a blur. But sure. some, at, at some point, I got arrested again for shoplifting. Okay. Uh-huh. And also, at some point, I even knew my heroin was getting out of control and I decided to go to a methadone clinic. Okay. I think that was sometime in 2004. And that was uh, terrible. What, terrible. Why, why was that terrible? What I, I, I am perpetually unclear as to what exactly methadone is supposed to do like well methadone takes away the withdrawal symptoms okay but isn't it um, also just an opiate i i don't i, I yeah feel it's like... very abusable you can get fucked up off of it right that's what i thought i mean my understanding is a lot of people od from methadone or, or it happens right oh yeah um that was part partly what my my brother overdosed on and i was okay. the one who introduced him to methadone Oh, so, okay. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get into it. I mean, okay. this is, sorry, this is, getting, this is heavy shit. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. So methadone just accelerated me being a, a real piece of shit. Um, what do you mean like by a, that? Wait, what, do you, what do you mean a real piece of shit? What does that so mean? So I would use just to get feeling good. So then I was energized enough to go out and do what I had to do to, do to get the real shit, the heroin. Oh. Methadone has a half-life of 36 hours, so I'd wait the 36 hours I would use. And... After a while, once I earned their trust, I would get a week's worth of take-homes at the methadone clinics. And they're oh. little bottles of pink liquid, right? Okay. What I would do is I would go right home. I would drink all of them, get super fucked up. Then I would fill up the bottles with water and food coloring to make it look like methadone. Okay. Put a fake sill on it using a Tylenol sill. Go back to the methadone clinic and say, hey, I'm going out of town next week, so I need another week's worth. And they go... Well, you got to show us your methadone so we know you didn't drink it. I would right. show them the fake methadone. They would say, okay, cool. Here's the next week's worth. Then I would go out and I would sell the fake methadone to a junkie. Mm. And then I would have a bunch of real methadone and a bunch of money. Then I'd go out and buy some heroin. When I ran out of that, I'd have plenty of real methadone. So just shit like that, dude. Like wow. a, fucking, a fucking monster. Wow. Okay. So... <laughs> That was and that was just an example of stuff I did. My, that was my life every day, okay. uh, scamming and scheming and conniving and 
for pulling strings to get <clears throat> fucked up, dude. For how? Okay, so how long did you live like that? I would. That was my life from pretty much 2003 to 2009. Okay. I, I would say active addiction was like 2000 to 2009, but 03 to 09 was uh, when when that was pretty much my life, man. And, and this was this was all just down in in you in in just outside in Salt Lake, basically. Yeah, in and around Salt Lake City, huh. and then my brother died uh, August twenty sixth, two thousand six. That was not enough to scare me out of using. I spoke so, at his funeral, super fucked up. So, um, like, what were you guys in contact together at that point? What was? What yeah, was... yeah, we we were in contact together. We knew we were junkies. Um, he would help me. Ah, oh God. I don't know. I don't talk about this a lot, but he would get me like a, a bunch of Oxycontin from Vegas and I would sell it up here. Right. Because he lived in Vegas. And our relation, you know, I ripped him off a few times. He ripped me off a few times. And it was like just, our, yeah, our relationship was, had gone from being brothers to being junkies who used each other, man. Yeah, I was about to say. So it was just like a, a, you guys just were like junkie brothers. Yeah. Um, it was fucked up, dude. Um, it took me a long time to forgive myself on that one. Yeah. Um, I have, it took years though. It wasn't easy. No, I, I, yeah. As soon as you said that, I, I can imagine, I can imagine. Um, so, okay. So let's fast forward. So you, what, what brings you to a spot where you're like, you really want to actually get clean, right? I mean, what, what, I mean, because it it wasn't 2006, right? I mean, if it was, that was in 2006 and that just accelerated shit, man. Uh, That's when I was like, okay, I'm going to be dead one day soon just like eric i just didn't know it would take three years i thought it would happen in a couple of weeks what do you uh, mean I, I was just gonna use so much i, I wasn't no i understand i understand what you mean by you were gonna die but what do you mean it took three years for you to 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 die did you od i od'd oh shit yeah od'd october 21st 2009 at my folks' house. It was my grandma's birthday. I, I guess you my, said that. I guess I just assumed you meant you just like took too much and went up in the hospital. But did you did you actually like die? Like, yeah, they, they had to bring me back with some Narcan. Holy shit, dude! Sorry, go. Yeah. What happened? They call me up to eat and I'm not answering. And my dad uh, goes downstairs and he can't open the bathroom door. Oh Jesus! But he get he gets it open enough because the lock didn't work. So I just pull a drawer out. You know, right. to keep the door from opening. Right. And he looked through the crack, and he saw me on the ground, just not responsive. And he kicked the door open, you know, drawer broke into a million pieces, and touched me, and I was not responding. And he said I swallowed my tongue. Oh, Jesus. And he reaches down in my mouth and pulls that out. And they call the paramedics. And uh, I don't remember anything, man. I just have sure. some flashing, flashing memories of being... Uh, in the ICU, they had to like restrain me down after they gave me the Narcan because at that point I was shooting up like 10 times a day and okay. the Narcan kills all of the heroin in your system. So, uh, I was and just freaking out at the doctors, you know, fuck you. What are you, what are you doing? Who are you? Cause of, is that, I, I, I'm not familiar enough with the f- experience of heroin. I'm not familiar at all. I've never, I've never. So Narcan is something they give to heroin addicts when they overdose that kills all the dope in their system and kind of jump starts their system as well. Right. It's kind of like what's replaced. Remember Pulp Fiction, the adrenaline? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Narcan has replaced that. And, but, but, okay. So you're just responding that way just because you're a feral animal at that point or is it like a withdrawal? Uh, Yeah. yeah, I have no idea. Like it's just my, I lose vision in one eye. My pH levels are like 
10 times what they should be. It just sent my system into such a, a okay. jolt that I, I was almost hallucinating. Jesus Christ. And you're, then, your yeah, poor man. dad, dude. I can't. I mean, that whole the whole time you're describing that, I'm trying to picture your dad. I don't know your dad. I mean, you, you, you joke about him on, on social media, so I feel like I know him sort of. But, yeah. I mean, if he had just lost a son and then he comes down and sees... His, yeah. his youngest son, oh, my God. Yeah, 6'5", 280, big man, deep voice, yeah. uh, intimidating presence. Great guy, did his best as a dad, but, you know, his, his technique was like a lot of dads, punishment and getting okay. angry. Sure, yeah, sure. And I wake up in the hospital, and my dad's sitting there uh, crying. Sure. And uh, I go, what happened? And he said, you overdosed. And he's uh, like very somber, which is not normal. Sure. And he just says, "I'm, th- I'm just, I'm through being mad at you." Yeah. You know, I'm like, I'm just through being mad at you. I just want to get Andy back. Yeah. And uh, my family and my therapists have an intervention in the hospital. Okay. Um, after they tell me what happened, and uh, you know, my first thought is, no, I don't want to go to rehab i want to get fucked up again because i'm going through withdrawals and it sucks sure no i can imagine that's i can i can completely visualize that yeah and but i i agreed to go and people say why do you agree to go and i still can't articulate it you know uh it was a really weird thing why i agreed to go to treatment but i went resisting and it was an inpatient treatment this time very strict 45 days yeah yeah where where was the where was this treatment center it was in a Kaysville, Utah. Hmm. Okay. I yeah. Don't, yeah. A uh, great place called Cold Creek. I worked there later after I got oh, clean. Oh, far out. Okay. Yeah, man. And uh, it was a it was a it was a motherfucker, dude. I was withdrawn. I was kicking. They could have tapered me off of Suboxone, but I actually I refused just because I I just hated my. It wasn't had nothing to do with willpower being tough. I just. Uh, hated everything about me at that point where I was like, nah, I'm just going to fucking go through these withdrawals. I don't care. Don't so you, shit. so you went through withdrawals as kind of a, a punishment to yourself? Kind of. I mean, punishment had too much like purpose and meaning for whatever I was doing. Oh, okay. What I was doing was just some sort of a empty manifestation of like what a monster I was and how disgusted I was with myself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then as, you know, we get going to treatment and a lot of it, I didn't like, I resisted, I, I resisted the program very much at first and yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to guess, ahead. I'm going to guess, I'm going to guess, especially during that first couple of weeks in there, but even maybe even towards the end of it, you're, you're not a particularly spiritual guy like going in and, and how did, did, did any of that stuff sink in for you? I mean, I, I. I know you yes. pre- you present yourself one way, but I'm I'm I really want to know, like, um, you know, what 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 was your sense of spirituality when you walked in there, the the feral animal aside, versus when you walked out? Well, no, some of it uh, some of it did sink in, um, yeah. because my pursuit of recovery, yeah. uh, I couldn't uh, rationalize, I couldn't articulate why I was giving this a shot. Okay. But there was something compelling me to do it. Okay. And did you feel um, did you feel any connection to it based on your childhood 
religion nonsense or whatever you want to call it or like no no not necessarily and i wouldn't say i was experiencing consciousness on the same level as a deity or a, or a, okay. or something like that but um going to meetings and listening to other people who had a long-term recovery right and their collective uh, wisdom and insight experience strength and hope uh i think my moment of clarity was learning oh wow that's more powerful than me. Huh. Just just the just the group basically, just the people and their experiences. Yes. Okay. Okay. And then we had a really wonderful guy who uh taught us about the science of addiction and what it does to your brain. Okay. Um and what it does to your pleasure receptors and he's the guy who basically taught us, "Hey, the the pieces of shit you are, that's not who you actually are." Right. And the tricky thing about that is sometimes it takes a little while to learn that. And I get out of treatment, and I just say, I'm, I'm going to try to be a clean and sober person. I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I have felonies. I don't have any skills. Sure. But I'm going to try to do this, you know? Sure. So I, I, I keep going to a so this is like outpatient. This is like early 2010? Early 2010. Okay. So in rehab, there was two channels that worked. Um, one was A and E, hoarders and all that. Okay. And the other was Comedy Central. Oh, two channels, literally. Can't. Okay. Yeah, yeah. A yeah. and E and Comedy Central. Okay. Go and on. Comedy Central had been running a marathon of all of their half-hour specials, and, and <laughs> I was always not much of a stand-up fan. I, I was as much a fan as anybody, which is to say, like very casual. I knew who sure. the greats were, you know, Seinfeld sure. and Richard Pryor, and. In my downtime, I would watch Comedy Central, and I would watch all of these really funny comedians. I distinctly remember uh, Dave Attell's Half Hour, and okay. uh, Jim Gaffigan's, and Brian Regan's. Huh. And uh, I didn't know who they were at the time, but I was like, man, I was like, man these guys are funny. Right. I, I enjoy this a lot. And <laughs> I always knew that I was kind of funny, too, but sure. I, had never, I had never thought about doing comedy. But then a few months after uh, rehab, they start talking about the importance of, you know, you you can't just be clean and sober. You have to do something with your life. Sure. That you enjoy. Sure. And uh, <laughs> I went to a, I went to a comedy club and tried an open mic about six <laughs> months after I got clean. No way. So and, that's, uh, that's how that started. Okay. That's how that started, man. And I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to structure a joke. The experience of being funny as a performer was completely alien to me. It was just, but I just was so excited by this cool and different thing and uh, talking to the comics. And I remember being really stimulated by it and very present. And uh, just like that, that became the thing I had to look forward to. Huh. Going and doing that open mic once a week. And I had no car. You know, I had to take two trains out there to get it, but I, I didn't give a shit. It was something that. I was looking forward to. That's you know. that's really far. And and okay, so you know, and this this comes to me comes. People ask me this question all the time too. Um, and I suppose I mean I, my my drug of choice was alcohol, so I, it makes a little bit more sense. But yeah, I mean you're talking about going to a bar, uh, and, and like the one the one thing you've identified as something that really inspires you is also putting you in a bar. Like how 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 did that square with you? Well, not only that, but I would have to walk up 4th South, which is where I ran around and got all of my dope. I would oh, walk shit. by the shelter and Pioneer Park huh. and 
I just kind of accepted, you know, I agree, be smart, not strong, and stay away th- from things that trigger you, especially sure. in early recovery. Okay. But eventually, you have to reckon with the fact that you're still in this world. You have to live in this world. Yeah. And you can't just stay at home <laughs> a- and, you know, be a hermit. I-, I certainly didn't want to. Sure. And after a while, after a few months, 4th South wasn't my the place where I picked up dope anymore. That was the where I went to go do comedy. I see. I see. You know, and, and I just sort of uh, reassociated it. Huh. And, you know, the, the comedy club, I didn't really think of it as a spot where there was alcohol, but then again, my DOC was not alcohol. Yeah. Um, it, it just became that. It just became the comedy club. And then as time went on and I got better and better at comedy, which was completely unexpected, <laughs> my, my goals in comedy were so modest starting out, man. Like some, some of these people starting out who... Talk about all of their career goals and everything like that. I'm not besmirching that, but it's just so different from the place I was when I started. Yeah. You know, I I just wanted something that was fun to do, uh, that was stimulating and, you know, wasn't destroying myself. And then as time went on and I learned, hey, I'm actually kind of okay at this. Yeah. You know, that was also a big moment for me. It was the first thing I had in my life where I can say, oh, I'm actually good at this. Huh. And that, that had never happened before. And that was that was basically 10 years ago. So just over, you know, so about nine years ago is when you started comedy. That's far out. Right. It's very hard for me to talk about my comedy path without talking about my recovery. Well, and I mean, of course, but also I, I, my experience or, you know, my awareness of you is you, you do use it on stage a lot as well. So was that was that from the start? Did you come out of the gate like making jokes about being a, a recovering heroin addict? No, I thought that would be too off-putting. I was going to say, because I can imagine that would just make everyone just like, what the fuck? Who is this guy? <laughs> but but uh, that didn't last too long. I would say just a few months went by before I did start talking about it. Because, sure. you know, I don't really trust myself enough to be a topical comedian or a political comedian. Okay. Uh, I'm not zeroed in on enough uh, like current events to, I think, offer any funny insight on that. Yeah. Uh, but I know my own life and sure. I know my, uh, my own thoughts and I just started learning. I have a, a better point of view with that kind of stuff well, yeah, about your that, own that's life. Not sure. To say it was, yeah. That's not to say it was a smooth road starting out. Like it was a little heavy starting out for sure. No, I'm sure. Well, cause you're coming from a serious spot and you're, you're dealing with a lot of serious shit, especially early in there. Um, I, I, as you're describing that, it, it occurs to me. So, do you has this ever been asked of you before? I mean, I do. You, okay, first off, do you do you attend any twelve step recovery now? I mean, I, I assume you were then, especially fresh out of rehab. You were you're probably doing it a little bit more religiously or, or regularly than maybe today. Is that true? I still go. Okay. Um, but yeah, when I first started out, you know, I did the 90 meetings in 90 days. Sure. And I'm certainly not going every day now, but I, I still go. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. so where I was going with that then is, is surely there's a connection between, I mean, you're using the same mouth and the same brain when you're sharing or I- involving yourself at a meeting and then going on stage. So do you, for yourself, how do you, how do you parse that out? Do you, do you have aspects that you for sure just will not touch on stage or is it, is it all just one stream of consciousness and, and, and you just kind of form something into a bit and, and practice it for stage? Like, do, do you even think about that? How does that work? Um, 
trying to understand the question. Where do I differentiate sharing in a meeting? Yeah, well, I guess, I mean, okay, I look at it like this. I mean, you don't want to be a wise guy at a meeting. You're going for a different effect in a comedy club or in a bar environment than you would presumably be doing in a meeting. Or is that... Of course, yeah. And so how do you differentiate that and how do you distinguish that? I mean, I guess where I'm coming from with that is there's a sense of, of selflessness that I try to achieve in a meeting and in my recovery that kind of doesn't work if you're trying to be funny. You know what I mean? So does that, or is that just me? <laughs> I guess maybe that's just me. I mean, I think it varies a lot that there's times when I am being very, uh, you know, sincere and I'm just trying to share and it does come out being very funny, especially sure. if I'm expressing things that bother me or annoy me. I, I think, uh, sometimes when you're expressing things that uh, agitate you or that you're struggling with, it can come out as being really, really funny. So I agree. But, yeah, yeah. But that's different than intentionally trying to go for a laugh. I guess that's what I'm asking. Do you go to meetings and try to get a laugh? No, I don't. <laughs> um, I enjoy... Yeah, man. I, I, I usually keep it pretty brief. I enjoy uh, being anonymous. <laughs> oh, do you? Okay, interesting, interesting. Yeah, yeah. and just being uh, a person. Um some people, you know, they do know I'm a comic, especially with the niche and stuff like that. Sure. That I do. Um, I think sometimes, not all the times, there's expectations for me to be a little bit more funny at meetings. Okay. Um, yeah, I think yeah. this is more of where I'm trying to, to, to relate to is is even the little bit that I do, comedy-wise or just public persona-wise, I feel like a weird uh, like a spectacle. I like, I don't want to be a spectacle in a meeting. And yeah, no, not at all. Yeah, not at all. And and you don't want the meeting to be about you. Oh, okay. Like a meeting shouldn't have a star. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, I guess this is more of what I was trying to get at with that rambling question is like, do, do you experience this and how, and how do you, how do you handle that? I mean, what do you do? Um, you know, I haven't given a lot of thought on how I handle it because I think compartmentalizing that has sort hmm. of, comes fairly natural to me. Okay. I've sort of recognized that performing in a comedy club is a totally different animal okay. than being in a meeting. Um, and also sometimes I think people do think I'm uh, funny or they're expecting me to be funny and I just kind of am able to brush it off and let it, not, not let it fuck with me. Yeah. Partly because I'm not afraid to tell somebody, like when they ask me to be funny, I'm not afraid to tell them to go to hell. Oh, okay. Sure. Yeah. I go, no. Yeah. No. Are you going to tell us any jokes? Uh-uh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, and, and, I, I, and I guess that's a fairly obvious, simple way to get around it. I, I, yeah. I, um, do you, I, I guess I, what, what, what is your present day sense of spirituality? I guess is this the culmination of what I'm trying to get, get to here. Do you, do you, do you meditate or I'm going to guess you don't pray. I mean, is there any kind of daily or regular practice that you do to a uh, attain something that you know would serve as a that spirituality if someone asks like me so asking. yeah I, I seldom talk about it but i've been sure. meditating since i learned how to do it in 2009 oh okay. uh yeah various practices from a mindful meditation to a tm okay and uh you could call it spiritual but that's uh i think given me a, a better understanding of what my place is in the universe and where I belong at in the universe yeah. and uh, what exactly is consciousness and where do I end and where do I begin? Uh-huh. And that sort of uh, acceptance of your place yeah. is very different than the loneliness I felt, which drove me to 
use in such excess. Yeah, that's yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. So you actually do uh, TM even like I I I I don't think I have the wherewithal for that. I've <laughs> I'll, oh I'll, no no I I switched over to TM and not to sell it on here or anything, but it's uh-huh. actually quite a lot easier than oh. mindful meditation. Is it really? <laughs> I thought yeah, it'd be it's the very, it's very very effortless. Um, <laughs> the only thing is. There's a couple weird things that you have to get past, such as a Sanskrit mantra. Mm. You know, it, it's uh, grounded in sort of these ancient spiritual. Oh, uh, I see. I see. You know, uh, H- Hindu stuff. But okay. if you're able to get past that with a little bit of mental gymnastics, hmm. the uh, technique is incredibly effective and uh, so so simple. It's just so easy to do. So, which is why I have come to prefer it. That's that's really not what I expected you to say. That's far out. I, yeah, I, it's it, not on, it's not on brand at all. So I don't, <laughs> I don't really post about no. it on Facebook. But that's again, that's being able to compartmentalize. Okay, you know? and uh, and that's interesting. I I I guess I I have a internal fear of compartmentalizing because I don't want to. Uh, I don't know. I I'm afraid of being not one person you know what i mean and and i register that that's just a language thing i mean you're you're i presume when you say compartmentalize you're not saying it in some negative connotation it's just a way to be present but not worry about other shit right yeah exactly and also to recognize you know like i treat comedy at this point kind of as a job okay and that job finds its way into my social media and and i am often sincere on my social media as, yes. as you've read but usually i'm just trying to be uh, funny, sure. and, and my point of view from things that are funny is basically disrespectful. I, I don't respect anything. I don't take anything seriously. Sure, um, that's where the funny in me is sort of at, and you know, I I kind of think that's where funny. I mean, funny lives in all kinds of places, so I shouldn't I, say that's where funny lives. But no, but that's I got where you. it lives for me. I got you. I got you. And yeah, yeah, and uh, I maybe you may have just answered this this question, but what? Uh, what, what do you, how do you square the higher power? What do you, what do you visualize with the higher power? What do you, what do you do with that concept for you internally? My my higher power is, I've taken to a pretty literal definition. Okay. And my higher power is the collective wisdom, experience, strength, and hope of people with more recovery under their belt than I have. There's more of them than there is me. Uh-huh. Uh, they have more brain cells than I have. <laughs> they have more insight than I have. Yeah. They are, by definition, more powerful. Uh, they're accessible. They're there when I need them. And sometimes I have to do a little bit of work to apply those tools. Yeah. So but... in a lot of ways, it's very similar to you know the conventional definition of a higher power. Okay. Yeah, but in some ways it's different in that it's not a deity you know. Yeah, and, and I don't. The deity thing has always bummed me. I, I, I it does. It, that's never resonated with me. And and so yeah, I, I, I part of what I do on this podcast is I want to I want to hear other people's, uh, you know, not not just their visualization, but like how how you apply it. I mean, and I, I'm assuming since you go to the the meetings and all that, you've you've attempted the twelve steps. Um, I don't. I'm. I don't know if maybe you've you've done them all or or if that's even interesting to you. So what did you do? So okay, so that that was just it. You just maintained the 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 kind of the group, like the good orderly direction is is God, right? Is that what basically? Well, and I, you? Uh, I I sponsor some folks. I'm yeah. pretty I'm pretty selective sure. about it, but well, I take yeah I take I take some guys on. Okay, and and. Uh, I guess that's it. I mean, it, it, the 
that's the long and short of it for you. The higher power is just the, 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 the wider collective of, you know, awareness beyond just one person. Is that how you describe it? Yeah. The one person being me. Right, 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 right. Yeah, exactly. That's, that summarizes it nicely. Huh. That's, uh, I, that's interesting. I, I, I the whole thing is interesting. I, I guess, I guess I, I kind of just assumed that you, got clean and you know you, you you kind of fucked around or not fucked around but now you you know now you're like uh I, I i i guess i didn't expect you to say that you still attend uh fairly regularly that's that's uh you know just unexpected I mean, there's, yeah i try to do i try to do once a week anyway yeah. so not that's... super hardcore i'm not like a you know going to mass every morning but <laughs> i feel yeah you. I feel yeah. You. And and so you're still just based out of just you're still based out of Salt Lake and and that's your Salt hometown. Salt Lake and, and I got my little uh, app with a chair on it for when I'm on the road so I can find meetings when I'm on the road. That's far out. So yeah, I've been to shit man, I've been to meetings nationwide. Sure. It's, it's uh that's one of my favorite things about them is to see how similar they are everywhere. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And uh I I guess that's you you've hit all the notes because I I you know I the big one that I wanted to touch base on is is you know how how your spirituality today squares with when you, you know you first got sober and I mean is has it has it shifted in any dramatic way since then since I first got sober yeah yeah I mean since you first like you know sometimes you come out of the gate just on fire sometimes you come out like trepidatious and 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 then over time things change i you know it kind of sounds like you're you're more or less in the same headspace but I, I am i putting that on you um it's a process okay you know i i think every day i'm becoming more and more comfortable and accepting of uh you know where my place is in the world and the universe and also embracing uh how uh, insignificant I am. And, and that's, I don't want that to sound nihilistic or anything like that or meaningless because I don't mean it that way yeah. uh, at all. But just to get away from the big ego and the arrogance and everything like that, that I had an active addiction that I talked about earlier. Sure. You know, the further away I get from that, I find is uh, the more, I, I, I suppose, advanced, if that's the right word, you want to call it my, uh, my spirituality gets. No, I I I completely relate with that. Like any any time the topic comes up in in a, in a meeting that I'm at, or if you know I'm I'm having a conversation with somebody, what you just said there, like my 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 take on the universe is you know it's fucking huge, and I am so insignificant in it. But that's not a bad thing. Like I, it gives me this freedom because because it gives you of freedom that. to listen. Yeah, and and just live. Right. Like, yes. I, I, and I, I it's it, it is a tricky thing to articulate because it can sound so negative, but it's it, it's not negative. It's it's no, it, it's not negative at all because it sounds nihilistic and meaningless. But that, that's right. not what it is. It's about, yeah. Yeah. Seeing where you are comparatively to everything else that's around you. And that gives that's very liberating and yeah. freeing for you just to sit back and kind of uh, sit in awe of it all. And that also helps a lot for me with gratitude, which is another cornerstone of my recovery. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's all that's just beautiful stuff. I, I, one last question before we go here. So cool. I think I know the answer to this, but you know, how, how, how has your relationship with your parents, with your father uh, grown since you've, you, since you came out of that 45 day treatment place? 
Uh, it's wonderful. My yeah. relationship with my parents is wonderful. They love me, and I love them, and they trust me. Yeah. Uh, you know, my act has too many dick jokes for their taste, and they've <laughs> made it. They've made it clear that, yeah, they don't like that. But you know, when your son's a multiple felon criminal junkie, they can live with him going up and talking about his dick for a few bucks. That's a big step up. <laughs> That's really that's a perfect yeah. that's a perfect end note right there, man. I uh, I I've, wonderful man. I appreciate you taking the time and 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 I'm I'm really I'm really glad. I, I especially after having this conversation, I'm I'm bummed because you were just up here for the 208 Comedy Fest a few weeks ago. Now I'm bummed that I I wasn't able to spend any more like actual QT with you. So oh, you were so busy though, dude. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, no, busy. it's insane. But uh, please, yeah. uh, when you come up this way, I I definitely want to like get together. I don't know, grab food or. One hundred percent, man. We'll get some coffee. I would love that. Yeah, right on, man. All right. Thank you so All much, right, Andy. Take um, care, man. This has been the Fun and Sobriety Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Andy as much as I did. Uh, like I mentioned at the open, I wasn't at all confident that he and I would be able to reach a, um, I don't know, a, a camaraderie, a connection that would make him feel safe uh, and open and vulnerable. And, and I feel like he, he was, you know, maybe it was as far as he goes or maybe he was, he's a good figure. I I don't know. He seemed very genuine to me. And, you know, when you're dealing with performers, you always got to have that in the back of your mind. You you don't actually, but, um, (laughs) and uh, I, I, I really appreciate Andy. I, I, I hope what he shared, uh, resonates with someone out there. Um, you know, it's interesting. It doesn't matter where we're coming from. Our the the recovery story is always very similar, right? Like the finding humility and just some you know in, indefinable need to change finally takes over, and and that's when something changes. And and uh, you know, there was his story was a lot more intense than I uh, anticipated I guess despite having known a little bit about it it was even more than I than I expected um, anyway if you uh, want to know more about Andy you can look him you can follow him on uh, andygold.org he's apparently a major organization that the World Wide Web gave him in .org uh, comedian page but andygold.org for all of his tour dates including um the Addicts Comedy Tour that he participates in uh, and tours around at least the the Western United States. And it's a, he's, he's a hilarious, hilarious comedian. If you get a chance to see him, absolutely do. And, and if you get a chance to say hi to him, absolutely do. He's, he's a really great guy. Um, anyway, uh, once again, I, I thank you guys for listening. And, uh, you know, if no one's told you this already, I, I love you. My heart goes out to everyone looking for recovery and seeking some kind of change to to make their life better and more livable. Um, So, yeah, I love each and every one of you. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the rest of your day. Drop.